Church, let's pray together for a minute. As we come before God this morning and we enter into the words that Jesus spoke, let that song be your prayer right now. Ask your Father to do whatever he wants to do in you to bring new life in you and through you. Father, we put ourselves before you this morning willing to surrender to your kingship willing to allow your power to do in us what you desire to do. Surrendering our will, our rights, our plans. To your will. And asking that your kingdom come in our lives. You transform us into who you want us to be. We are subjects in your kingdom. We are servants of the king. And so this morning, once again, we just lay ourselves before you and ask that you do in us what you desire to do. Even if it involves crushing, pressing, chiseling away at us to form us into the likeness of your son Jesus Christ speak to us now from your word from the Bible let the voice of your spirit be heard in our lives this morning we commit this time to you and ask that your will is accomplished here in Jesus name amen All right, if you uh, don't have a Bible with you this morning, you are going to need one as we dig back into the words of Jesus and look at what he has to say for us this morning. So if you don't have a Bible, just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will get you one. They're coming right now with Bibles and they'll get you one that you can use to follow along in. And if you do not currently have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive right now and take it with you and dig into it. And when you find this spot that we're going to read from this morning, I would encourage you to read more to dig into what Jesus has said to all of us uh, during this time that he spent here on earth. We are on our third message in a series called Worth It. We're taking a look at something that Jesus talks about in the Bible. It's something that he mentions 32 times in the book of Matthew. And so we believe that we should probably take a closer look at what he's talking about. Um, I personally believe that we've heard this term before maybe many, many times but have still landed with an inadequate view on this thing that we're talking about. We're talking about the kingdom of heaven, also referred to as the kingdom of God. The kingdom is a strange word that we don't really use that much anymore unless we're playing certain video games or watching certain HBO series. We don't live in a kingdom. Only a few of us grew up in the commonwealth with a queen who had very little power over our daily lives. Even then, there wasn't much dinner table conversation about kingdoms. But as we seek to put into actions and words the vision that God has given this church, 
we find ourselves needing to better understand the kingdom that Jesus talked about. So we're taking a walk with Jesus along the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee and beyond there, listening to what he has to say about this kingdom, praying that we'll all get a picture of what he's referring to. And so far we've learned this. We've learned that the kingdom is worth more than we can imagine, enough to move us to sell everything that we have just to get it. That's what we saw in Jesus' one-verse parable about a treasure hidden in a field. And then we listened to Jesus tell us another parable, one about a sower, a farmer, who went out to sow seeds. And what happened to those seeds is they fell on different soils. We saw that this kingdom that Jesus illustrated in the parable is capable of and intent on producing fruit, producing a harvest in our lives. The kingdom has power The kingdom works and moves in us as we surrender to its authority and its presence. And as strange as that may sound, it's an amazing truth. God who created us in his image desires to use our lives to produce the yield that he intends to produce through the words of his kingdom, which is what we're looking at right now. We'll keep learning and seeing more dimensions of this picture that is the kingdom. We're just getting started and there's more for us right here this morning with what we're going to look at. So let's turn now back to Matthew chapter 13. Another parable today. Another piece of the picture that we are beginning to see. And another gift from Jesus. An explanation of the parable that he spoke This story is about some wheat and some weeds, another farm reference, another picture that was relevant to his audience because they had seen this play out many, many times. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 24. He, Jesus, put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also, and the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servants said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. Okay, now skip down to verse 36. We will cover the in-between verses another time. So verse 36 Then he, Jesus, left the crowds and he went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. 
The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Okay, I want to tackle this story in two phases today. First of all, we're going to do a little breakdown of it because there's some great inside info here that'll help us see more clearly what Jesus is saying. And then we'll move on to some takeaways that I saw as I read and studied and reflected. And once again, Jesus' words are rich and full of life. Jesus opens his parable with the words, the kingdom of heaven He goes on to compare the kingdom of heaven to an agricultural scene in which a farmer sows some wheat seed and then something frustrating happens. But Jesus is painting again here. This parable does not give us a complete picture, just some more brush strokes from Jesus and every stroke has meaning. A man sows seed in his field. The man Jesus refers to is the son of man. That's him. He's talking about himself. He uses this title sometimes and it's a humble statement that he makes about the fact that he was fully human. He was the second Adam, the perfect sinless man. He was born of a woman. He grew up as a son of a carpenter from an insignificant town. He was a man and the son of man. This man in the parable sowed some wheat seeds in his field. Small but noteworthy detail here. Jesus used the words, his field, his. He explained that the field represented the world, his world. While the enemy may rule here temporarily, this world belongs to God and Jesus will return one day soon and restore his rule here. And I can't wait. It could be today. I'd be totally fine with that. The good seed that was sown by the man refers to the sons of the kingdom. Who's that? That's us. He's talking about you and me, the sons and daughters of the kingdom, his people, his adopted children. That word sons can have the meaning of pupil or student or follower as well, but he's talking about the people of his kingdom. Jesus said that something happened while the workers from that farm slept. This does not indicate that they were being lazy or inattentive, but simply that their enemy worked at night. Our enemy works in darkness. That's what Jesus is pointing to here. Satan is most comfortable in the dark. God does his work in the light Remember that when you think about your private life. Think about whether or not there's a sin or a situation in your life that needs to be brought out into the light. Talk to someone you're close to about it. Don't keep it a secret. Your enemy works in the darkness of secrets. But when you bring the sin or the situation before God into the light, his power takes over and his power is limitless. In the darkness, the farmer's enemy planted some weed seeds. And believe it or not, this was an actual tactic used back then. If you were fighting with your neighbor and you wanted to hurt him, you would consider sneaking into his field at night and planting weeds that would ruin his crop. 
So this wasn't some abstract idea that Jesus was presenting. His audience was well aware of this action as a way to hurt people. Now taking a big step back, we can see Jesus talking about the world. People of God's kingdom are here in the world. So are people of Satan's kingdom. Our enemies working hard to win people to himself by leading them astray, by tempting them, by deceiving them, by lying to them, by turning them against Jesus and against others. This battle is going on every moment of every day. Satan wants to hurt God's kingdom. He's trying to claim this world for himself. But even when he wins a battle for a soul, the reality is that he's already lost the war. Now pause for a second here, never mind the parable. This is our reality. The enemy prowls around looking for people that he can devour. He wants to turn every soul away from God and claim them for himself. That fight is real. He's twisting culture and media and using hordes of people to get his message across. And here we stand secure in the arms of God in the midst of an ongoing battle. What do you think it does to God to see his enemy doing this? What do you think God wants of us? Jesus said that the weeds grew up among the wheat plants. The servants of that man asked him if they should go into the field and pull up the weeds. The man said to leave them in the field. Let's sit on that for a minute. In Luke chapter 9, Luke records an interaction between Jesus and his disciples as they encountered a Samaritan village that rejected Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He was going to stay in that village and he had sent people ahead to make preparations for him, but the village rejected him. Jesus' disciples reacted by asking Jesus if he wanted them to call down fire from heaven to destroy the people from that village. Um, Jesus was not fond of their suggestion. He rebuked them. This was not the time for judgment. God would judge at the harvest, at the end of the age. And that applies to our reality today. This is not the time for judgment. God will judge Jesus saw this judgment in our hearts and he spoke against it to his disciples and in turn to us. And so even this aspect of the parable was relevant. The man in the parable told his servants to let the wheat and the weeds grow up together. We didn't want them to risk pulling up the wheat as well when they pulled up the weeds. So why the concern? I have personally weeded many gardens and even fields and the weeds had to go. Why not in this case? This is very important for us to see. The parable makes so much more sense if we have this understanding. Remember that the weeds were planted intentionally. In wheat fields back then, some people intent on destruction planted a particular type of weed in the wheat fields of the people that they were trying to hurt. That weed was a plant called a darnel. The darnel was a type of rye grass. And as it grows up, the darnel looks identical to wheat. 
Until they produce heads, there is no way of telling which plant is the wheat and which plant is the weed. And so if someone was to go into the field and try to weed out the darnel, they would likely pull up a lot of wheat plants as well. This weed is very common in the area of Syria and Palestine, even today. Farmers in this area today who, like our farmers, work to eliminate weeds from their fields will not try to weed out the darnel in their wheat fields. They wait until harvest and separate the two plants then. Interestingly, in spite of how closely it resembles wheat, the grain from the darnel plant, if consumed by humans, can cause convulsions and even death. Adds a little color to this picture, doesn't it? In his parable, Jesus points out that this is not the time for judgment. God is not simply removing the sons of the evil one from this world. He's allowing us to share space with them right now. And he's not asking us to take on the role of judge, jury, and executioner in this space that we share. God will separate the wheat from the weeds at the end of the age when he gathers in the harvest. I want to take uh, uh, just a step aside for a few minutes here and, and look at something with you that came to mind as I was studying this parable. It, it has to do with us sharing space in this world with those who are not followers of Jesus. It's a prayer that Jesus prayed and it's found in John chapter 17. Um, you can turn there or you can just listen. I think this prayer fits so well into the ongoing picture that Jesus is painting This idea of us living in this world and sharing space was on his heart throughout his time here. So this is John chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. This is Jesus praying for his disciples. It says, when Jesus had spoken these words and he'd been teaching about having overcome the world and the peace that we can find in that reality, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, 
that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Just look at what Jesus said here. He affirmed that his disciples were not of this world. Yet he didn't ask God to take them out of the world. He simply asked his father to protect them from the evil one. His word would be the rock that they could hang on to in this world. And even though Jesus is not here right now to protect us, he left us his spirit and he promised that he would always be with us and never leave us and never forsake us. And note that Jesus said, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. In this world, as wheat among weeds, we have been given a purpose. We've been given a calling. We're sharing space for a reason. Not to just ride it out until God takes us. If that was God's purpose, he would just take us as soon as we became his. He has intentionally left us here in this world to carry out what Jesus started And we can't ignore the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples explaining what was meant in the parable about gathering the weeds to be burned. As hard as it is to swallow, Jesus is speaking here about hell. And it's not a very popular topic. I saw an interview with someone recently who stated that she didn't believe in hell and she supposed that those who do believe in hell are going there. Let's look specifically at what Jesus gave us here. This is not going to be a full message on hell. We'll stick with this parable. In verse 40, in reference to the image of the weeds being gathered and burned, Jesus makes these comments. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. At the end of this time, when Jesus comes back to rule the earth, he will send his angels to gather out of this world the weeds, the sons of the evil one. They will gather all stumbling blocks and all those who commit lawlessness, those who are loyal to the enemy's kingdom. 
They will be thrown into what he describes as the fiery furnace. And that is a terrible picture. Fire burns and burning creates excessive pain. The gnashing of teeth is a picture of extreme anguish and utter despair. That is just the start to a description of hell. Let me point back to something that's clear in this parable. God does the judging. Only he has the authority and the right to judge. And only he will do that judging at the end of the age. We have to leave that to him, church. And if you think this is any indication that he enjoys throwing people into the fiery furnace, think again. God sacrificed his only son and he subjected that son to his full wrath so that people could avoid facing this judgment and they could enter into his mercy, grace, and love now and forever. God's creation will one day soon return to a sinless, perfect state where evil will have no place. And I know that it breaks his heart to see so many people reject what he offers them out of his love for them. Jesus doesn't end the explanation of the parable with the thought of hell and eternal burning. I'm thankful for that. He speaks of gathering the wheat into his barn. The wheat will be collected having seen the kingdom produce a harvest through that wheat. And if you're looking for a promise to hang on to today, grab this one and don't let go. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Those who have been washed clean by God and declared righteous because of the blood that Jesus spilled will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. God will gather us up as the harvest that he created and we will be his treasure forever. The unstoppable church empowered by God's spirit will shine like the sun free of sin, free of sin's impact and live with God in his restored kingdom for all of eternity. God has seen this day coming since before time began. His prophet Daniel spoke these words about this end time way back in Daniel chapter 12, over 500 years before Jesus even came. Speaking through his prophet Daniel, God said, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. This day is coming. What then shall we do in the meantime? And Jesus said at the end of his explanation of the parable of the weeds, he who has ears, let him hear. Listen. Listen. 
so that our attitudes can reflect that of Jesus. Listen to Jesus. He did not come to judge. He came to save. He did not seek vengeance even on those who wronged him. So clearly he sought their forgiveness. He demonstrated love, mercy, and compassion. He calls us to give testimony to his saving grace, not to condemn those that we would label as weeds. He called us to love and not to hate, even our enemies. He called us to show mercy, not to turn away from his creation, from those that Jesus died to save. What is this kingdom? It's a treasure of infinite value. It's worth it. It's meant to produce a yield in us, sometimes a hundredfold, sometimes sixtyfold, sometimes thirtyfold. The kingdom has an enemy. He's busy snatching, scorching, choking out, deceiving. What's going to happen to this enemy? He'll be thrown into the fire. What's going to happen to us? We will shine like the sun for all of eternity in the kingdom of our Father. In his divine wisdom, God has chosen to leave us here in this world, here among the weeds. He's not afraid for us, and he doesn't want us to be afraid either. His grace and power are sufficient for us. His spirit dwells within us. He's given us his calling, and he's equipped us with his power. The kingdom is here. It's been compared to something happening Right now, light lives among the darkness. Jesus asked for this. God has allowed it without removing us or his enemies from the world. So church, embrace your place in this world. Jesus has opted not to ask his father to take you out of this world. Instead, he's asked you and me to represent him here. He's inviting you and me to see what he sees and feel what he feels when he looks around the world. He's inviting us to rest in the promise of the coming day when we will shine like the sun. That promise was made possible through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So this morning as we celebrate communion together, we celebrate what Jesus has done for us on the cross. We celebrate that sacrifice that made us worthy of being called sons and daughters of his kingdom. We celebrate that day when we will shine like the sun in God's presence made possible by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And today as we celebrate communion together, we remember what Jesus did. We remember why he did it. And we remember what our response to his, his gift should be. Jesus gave himself up for the sake of the lost. He handed his body over to be crucified so that those in this world who had given themselves over to this world and the enemy's kingdom could return and surrender to him and to his eternal kingdom. God, call, God called us home through Jesus and now, like Jesus, he's asking us to be an extension of his call for others to come home. He's left us here among the weeds where the kingdom will bear fruit through us 
and there will be more and more harvest for God to gather into his barn at the end of the age. May his will be done and his kingdom come in and through our lives today and forevermore. And I invite the elders to come and prepare to serve communion and the worship team as well. And I would ask that we once again just take a moment in prayer here as we prepare ourselves to come to the table and share together. Let's pray. I ask that as you come before your Father in prayer right now, and you prepare to come to the table and remember I ask that you would first of all in your mind go to the end of the parable and grab on to this promise that you will shine like the sun in the kingdom of your father Try with all of your ability to wrap your head around the fact that this life is so short and such a speck compared to the eternal picture that God has given us. And as hard as things may be right now in this world, where the darkness is all around us, our eternal reality is that we will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. That is a promise. Hold on to that. And as you talk to your father right now, thank him for all that Jesus did to make that eternal reality possible. Jesus laid his life down for you. His body was handed over to face the wrath of his father so that you didn't have to. His blood was shed so that you and I could be forgiven and stand clean before that father. Come with that in your mind and in your heart this morning. Father, we we lay ourselves before you imperfect, Flawed, broken, counting on, depending fully on the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. We cannot bring ourselves back to the place where we are righteous before you and we acknowledge that today, Father. 
we acknowledge the fact that there was only one way for that to happen. There was only one way that we would be able to stand before you guiltless, clear conscience in your presence, face to face with you and that one way is because Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again. There is no value that we can put on that. It goes beyond value. We have life because of this. And we have your promise that we will shine like the sun in your kingdom forever. And I can't thank you enough for that promise. Father, here in this world where you have left us intentionally, I ask that you would use us for the sake of your kingdom producing a harvest here in this world. Help us to picture you gathering your harvest and bringing us all together as your treasure forever. God, we come now in a spirit of thanksgiving, in a spirit of love, in a spirit of humility, on our knees before the cross, receiving the gift that you've offered us for the sake of your kingdom. May your kingdom come and your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.